to episode 81 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to curate a list of all the amazing games released in any given year. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Grey Fox Games. This week, we're talking about upcoming board game awards. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Fickle, Animal Upon Animal, Battle Dome, and Race for the Galaxy. Then, we talk about popular and prestigious board game awards that will be given out this summer, along with some of our predictions for which games will win. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word prestigious. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. Recently, I got a couple games as review copies, or like kind of review copies, free games. <laughs> one of them is called Fickle, and one of them's Animal Upon Animal. So I'll talk about them both. Fickle is an upcoming Kickstarter card game. So 2019, designed by Glenn Cotter, and art is by Amy Brown, and a couple more people, but I think it's mainly Amy Brown. Um, but the art is really nice. It has this fairy art and like different fairy art on each card, and there's a bunch of different cards and factions with different colored fairies, which looks nice. But in the game Fickle, it's a combination of set collection and press your luck and kind of take that. So there's five rounds and each round you're getting a card and you're at the end of the game, you wanna score based on the cards you have. If you have one card of a type, then you get the positive points for it. If you have two cards, then you get zero. And if you have three or four, you get negative points for them. And if you have five, that's like shooting the moon and you get positive again. So you kind of want like one of each color or all of one color. <laughs> so so that's kind of how, what you want to collect. But then during the game, the way you get the cards is the person to your right or left is drawing three cards and then ordering them and putting them face down in front of you. And you pick one at a time and decide if you want to keep it or not. So that's the press your luck part because they ordered it so that either the best card is on the top or on the bottom or you, you don't actually know or maybe there weren't any good cards in it because they just drew three from the top of the deck and then also each card has a special power the things like change cards with someone else or like take a card from someone else's tableau or um give a card to someone else so a bunch of like random things happen during the game it's a really quick game uh takes like 15 minutes for the full game because it's only five rounds and each round is really fast. And so I played it with some coworkers or coworker friends of mine. And we didn't actually enjoy it that much because it was too much randomness for us. And there was some king making at the end because like with the last power, there were two people that could have won and just one person had the power to decide which of them wins. So even though it's short, we felt like there weren't that many interesting decisions for us and for our group it was boring but it's a quick game and i can see like with other people who like more take that things and are fine with like the randomness they would like it more and we actually saw we went to kublacon last week or a couple weeks ago it's a convention here and there was a giant version and people were playing <laughs> so it looked like a lot of people were playing and having fun. And there's also a variety of the cards because you pick different types of cards each time. So like the ones that have powers, you can have a different set of powers each game because you pick five out of like 20 or 30 that come with the game. So there's a lot of variety in the game. So it's a really quick press your luck, take that game that you can play. So that's Fickle. I think it's on Kickstarter now. 
Yeah, that it sounds like there's some really interesting like snippets of it there. Mm-hmm. But the, t- the the take that elements feel like what would kind of make it break down for me if I was yeah. playing it. Yeah, that, that's and, the part that I didn't. Some like. people really like take that in gaming. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, you and I are definitely not <laughs> those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's fickle. If you like take that and it's quick card game and it's very pretty art, go check it out. <laughs> so the other game I got is Animal Upon Animal, which is a children's game by Haba. Uh, that came out in 2005, designed by Klaus Miltenberger, and it's a stacking game. You have these animals that you're stacking on top of a crocodile, these little wooden pieces of animals, and you're trying to get rid of all your animals. I played it with my nephew, who's three years old, and the the age says four plus, so I think my nephew's a little young for it because he didn't play through the whole game. We, we were playing a house rule where he just stacked an animal on his turn, and then he kept saying, like, it's going to fall over. so so he he kept getting nervous and then so so we just stacked it and then it fell over and and he liked it but he he wasn't very good at stacking it very high and he was nervous about it falling over and but like now he knows it as the crocodile game because that's the base animal is a crocodile and that's what you start with when you're stacking so he came over and he's like oh it's the crocodile game (laughs) let's play the crocodile game but we still aren't playing by the full rules yet so he's a little young for the full rules but he likes playing with the animals in animal fun animal so he does a little bit of the stacking so that's going to be fun probably next year maybe (laughs) if we're playing like a full game it's funny, my, my nephew uh, is now four, mm-hmm. and when, like, like literally right after he was born, I bought a copy of Animal Upon Animal for my <laughs> sister. Uh, like, I got one of the ones that came in, like, a nice metal tin, and mm. they were very appreciative, and they were like, oh my gosh, that's so cool, and I was like, yeah, I figured, you know, he could play with the toys when he's, as, as he grows, and then we can play the game later. She cannot find it for the life of her. Oh, no. <laughs> she, like, she put it in a closet somewhere or something, and now that he's old enough to actually play it, I was like, hey, do you have that copy of that game that I sent you? And she was like, I'm so sorry, I don't know where it is. <laughs> so I might yeah. have to get them another copy of this game. Um, mm-hmm. He's four now, and so I feel like he would be able to... Uh, at least, yeah, kind of do what your three-year-old nephew's doing. Like, stack yeah. it and have some fun knocking the stuff over, if nothing else. Yeah. Luckily for us, we live really close to them, so we can just keep the game. And then it's special when they come over, they get to play it. Because they have some games, too. So this is our copy of Animal Fun Animal, but then he can play it when he comes over. And it's a special thing for when he comes over to our house. <laughs> that is pretty cool. <laughs> Well, I'm going to talk about two games as well. Neither one of mine are review copies. These are things that I purchased, one of which is ridiculous. So the first one I'm talking about is called Battle Dome. It is a gigantic monster of a game that came out in 1994. It is basically a board game version of four-player pinball. Like, that's the easiest way to describe it. You've got a giant dome that has netting over it with a dispenser in the top center that is operated by a winding mechanism. Like the same as those old, you know, when you'd play categories, the timer was like, you would wind it up and then click it on and it would eventually run out and just stop. Oh yeah. Like like a mechanical winding mechanism Mm -hmm. is how this thing works. So you wind it up and this dispenser spins internally and all of the marbles that you put into the little dispenser at the top, go through the dispenser and drop down into the dome and then like get dispersed out. There's these little spinners and bells and things, and every player has two pinball-style flippers and a 
cup below them and you are just trying to get as few marbles as you can honestly i didn't even read the rules that came with the game i was like get the fewest marbles like that's our goal i think because who cares about the real rules it is a blast i don't remember how much i paid for this on ebay but uh someone had posted it on twitter and as soon as i saw that this thing existed i had to buy it so it's ba- called battle dome you can find copies of it on eBay, but note the box is gigantic. Like, I can't even describe. I should have brought it up here to show you, at Ambie, on the video, because it is nuts how big this thing is. But I did post some videos on International Tabletop Day on our social media. So if you head to our Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook and look for the posts from June 1st, you'll be able to see what it looks like. Yeah, it looks really fun. <laughs> we enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think there's a lot of crossover between board game fans and fans of pinball. I've seen a lot of crossover there, so I feel like this is a win for (laughs) a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, The other game I wanted to briefly mention is also an older game, but still a modern game, and that is Race for the Galaxy. Race for the Galaxy is in my top 100 games of all time, and I've mentioned it offhandedly in a couple of other episodes. This game was originally published in 2007, designed by Thomas Lehman, published by Rio Grande Games, and I actually... Wow, it's funny that it was published in 2007 because the first time I played it was in 2007. I didn't realize that it was brand new when I first played it, but a friend of mine in Kansas City owned it and taught it to me. I've always kind of loved Race for the Galaxy. So in Race for the Galaxy, you're building a galactic civilization with cards. You are constructing developments, settling worlds, generating resources, and then consuming those resources to get either more resources or victory points. So very much just a tableau building, engine building game. At its core, it's really fairly simple, but there's a lot of interesting combinations that can come from the different cards. Some of the cards will give you end game scoring conditions. Others will just give you victory points natively. So really uh, worlds that are very expensive to create will usually give you one of those two things. And the end of the game is triggered when the first person has 12 cards in their tableau or the supply of victory point tokens that was set out at the beginning of the game is depleted. And usually games are pretty quick. I actually just recently played it two player and I hadn't played it two player in quite some time. And when you're playing with two players, it works a little bit differently. In the normal game, when you're playing with three or four, every player has a handful of uh, cards that have the different phases of the game listed on them. And each player chooses one of the phase cards to play. And then all of the phases that were chosen by players in the game all go off for all players. But whoever played the card gets a bonus for it. There is other games that do things similar to this as well. Mm -hmm. But Race for the Galaxy is one of the, I think originals that does something like this i'm sure there was probably something before it but it's one of the modern games i think that does it best if nothing else in the two-player game though both players get to choose two different phase cards from their hand and what's neat is you have multiples of some of the phases so like the settle phase will allow you to place down a world and there are two settle cards in your hand in a two-player game so you could technically do the settle phase twice in a two-player game, which is kind of neat. It allows you to get cards out more quickly and combo some things in interesting ways. I really like this game a lot. People tend to comment on the iconography and how difficult it is to understand. I have always been of the mindset that it isn't as bad as people say. That's not to say that it's 
completely intuitive and easy, but honestly, it is not that bad. Um, especially mm -hmm. if you have someone that's familiar with the game to kind of show you the ropes and just be like, oh, that means this. You'll see that same icon on a bunch of different cards. And there is there are text explanations on a lot of the cards for what those icons mean too. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So yeah. Race for the Galaxy is uber fun. Have you ever <laughs> played this one, Ambie? Yeah, I've played it a couple times. I think I played it in 2009. But I, yeah, I don't think the iconography was the problem because I played it with someone who like really knew how to play and then we were new. But I think the problem more is that I don't know what is out there. So it's harder to know like what other people are going for when you're new because you don't know like, what the combos are. So then the, <laughs> that, that was more of a problem than the iconography. But it, it was fun. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely one of those games where someone who's played it before will have an advantage mm -hmm. over someone who hasn't just because of knowing that like what things exist within yeah. the scope of the game. And it's not a huge deck, so it's not that hard to pick up on that kind of stuff. And I tried to like when I was teaching it yesterday, I kind of tried to explain some of the things that existed like, oh, there are things that will give you a discount on that or more resources when you do this or end game scoring for these types mm -hmm. of things. And I think that's a good way to teach this kind of game is to give people an idea of what's possible. And I tried to yeah. make it very clear that the powers that will allow you to draw more cards from the deck one of the phases you're drawing cards and keeping some of them and you can use special powers to draw a ton of cards but only keep a couple of them so if you're looking for specific things in the deck it allows you to kind of mull through the deck and find those things that you're looking for but again yeah. if you don't know what you're looking for that's not helpful yeah. <laughs> so uh i do i really like race of the galaxy it actually got a new a second edition printing in 2018 um which apparently improved the color blindness uh, assets of the game which there aren't a ton of but like there's different colors of planets and so they did something to help with that and they also included five retrofit cards that are revised from the original edition of the game and six new worlds promo home worlds i did not know this until i looked it up on board game geek and now i might actually try and get a hold of those newer components because i think that that's pretty cool or maybe i'll just buy the new edition of the game and sell my old one who knows <laughs> but yeah that is race for the galaxy Earlier this year, you all listened to our episode, The Blitzies, which is clearly one of the most prestigious <laughs> award shows in gaming. Yes. I say with a lot of sarcasm, but hey, you know, we love The Blitzies, but there are some awards out there that are slightly more well-known than The Blitzy Awards, and uh, a lot of those are coming up in the very near future, so we wanted to talk about them and give you our thoughts on some of the nominees. <laughs> So one that was just recently announced was the Spiel des Jahres. That has actually three separate awards. There's the regular Spiel, the Kenner Spiel, which is... So the regular one is for like family games. The Kenner Spiel is for more heavy games, I guess. Yeah, like what, strategy so, games. Strategy games. Uh -huh. And Kinder Spiel, which is for children's games. They have three nominees in each category, and then they pick one to win later this summer, I think. Yes. <laughs> It's out of the Spiel Committee, which is in Germany, and that's mm -hmm. why the name of the award is in German. And Spiel des Jahres literally means Game of the Year yeah. uh, in German. Yeah. So that's why it's a big award, because it's just called Game of the Year. It's like Well, the and thing. Germany is, I think, I, I, don't, I don't think this is disputed, that Germany is the most, like, board game-centric country in the world. Yeah. Like, there are more people 
and families and what like board games as a industry are booming huge in Germany and have been for so long. And mm-hmm. I know the, the U.S. We're, we're trying to catch up, but we're not <laughs> anywhere close to where Germany is yet. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, these are games that were printed in Germany in 2018. So some of the games we might have played before that because they they didn't have a German edition yet. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think the, the year actually is not a calendar year. I think there's a oh, yeah. specific month to a specific month that it runs. And I want to say it starts later in 2018 and mm-hmm. runs into 2019 a little bit. And I know Probably, that that has to yeah. be true based on one of the nominees for the Kenner <laughs> Spiel, because Wingspan was not published anywhere until 2019. So uh, I, be- yeah. I believe that, yeah, it's not technically a calendar year, but these would theoretically be considered the winners for the 2018 mm-hmm. year would be my assumption. Okay. Yeah, so the nominees for the regular spiel are Just One, Llama, and Werewords. So Llama has not been printed here in the U.S. So us, most people (laughs) that are board game reviewers here in the States, a lot of us have not seen or uh, gotten to play that one. So we don't have thoughts there. But you and I have both played the other two nominees Mm -hmm. for the spiel. Uh, What are your thoughts as to on both of those games and which one you think will win? I like them both. Uh, I think Just One might win. Or, well, I'm rooting for Just One to win. <laughs> because I like Just One, I think, better than Werewords. And I think I, th- I think it's more unique, too. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree. And it's interesting because, obviously, you and I don't live in Germany. And we don't get mm-hmm. to see, like, the buzz that's happening in Germany around specific games. But because Werewords was released in the States a couple of years ago, yeah. I haven't really heard a lot of buzz for Werewords here in quite some time. But for all I know you know, game groups in Germany have been going crazy for it. I just, I really don't have a frame of reference there. But I agree with you. I think Just One is more unique. It's so simple to pick up and play. And it's kind of universally appealing to a lot of different people. And honestly, there aren't a lot of cooperative party games that I can think of. And everyone I've taught it to has really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really like that it's a cooperative party game. I mean, we still play Werewords, too. So both of these are word games, which... So I don't know how that... It might differ in in German versus English, too. So I I don't know, like, how the dynamic is is different. But, yeah, I I like them both. But, yeah, I think Just One is... Like, having a cooperative party game is really neat. So then we've got the Kinnerspiel Awards. So these are heavier games, a little more strategy involved... Uh, less family-friendly in general, not necessarily in content, but in <laughs> gameplay. Um, and the nominees for the Kenner Spiel are Carpe Diem, Detective, and Wingspan. I have played Carpe Diem and Wingspan. Mm-hmm. I've You've played, played Detective and Wingspan, but I've only played okay. one case of Detective. So. <laughs> okay, uh, and I've only played Carpe Diem one time. So, uh, But I Carpe Diem is a Stefan Feld game. And I, this was my second ever Feld game. I'd played mm-hmm. Trajan previously with you, Ambi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I picked up this one. Z Garcia offered to teach it to me at Dice Tower West. And I kind of made a face. I was like, mm. <laughs> I was like a Euro Feld game. I'm not really sure. And he was like, come on, I'll teach it. And I was like, okay, whatever. I actually ended up really enjoying the gameplay of Carpe Diem. And it surprised me in that way because I wasn't expecting to like it. Mm-hmm. I will say graphic design, horrible, 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 (laughs) horrible. There are lots of things bad about the first edition printing of this one. And I don't know if that should exclude something from winning a prize. Like if the gameplay is solid, but the production quality is not, 
Like, how does that factor in? I don't know. But I will say I enjoyed the gameplay a lot. But I do know last year they mentioned that like bad rule books would exclude people from winning the spiel. So I don't know if production, like the design making it um, less playable is similar to that. I mean, I would imagine it would be at least in some regard, maybe yeah. not at the same level. But yeah, there are literally like some color issues where you, mm-hmm. you you have to kind of like lean down and squint, even if you have normal color vision to be able yeah. to differentiate between certain things. Yeah. So the one we haven't mentioned yet, aside from me running off the nominees, is Wingspan. <laughs> and this is the one that I, I really, truly hope wins this award. <laughs> yeah, I think Wingspan would win too. I like Wingspan. Like Detective doesn't seem like, yeah, I don't know. Detective seems very difficult to get played for a regular game because it's like a lot of investment and you're basically being a real detective. (laughs) So Wingspan is more of a normal game in that sense, but it's it's a lot of fun. And while this is the like category that's dedicated for slightly heavier games, mm-hmm. it's not intended to be games that are unapproachable or really, yeah. really difficult. And I think Wingspan fits this area really nicely in that it's not an entry-level game. It's not a gateway game. It's not mm-hmm. a family game per se, but it has some very interesting strategic decisions and it's just got solid gameplay in it. Yep. So people like to hate on all the hype it's getting and I just... I'm not listening to any of the hate at all because it's a solid game. It's got great artwork, great design, and I cannot wait to see more from uh, the designer, Elizabeth Hargrave. She's got a game on Kickstarter right now. I'm not sure if it'll still be on Kickstarter by the time this episode airs, but Button Shy is formally releasing the card game that she designed that won the Gen Cant contest in 2018 called Tussie Mussy. And Mm. I've played it because I played a print and play version that my friend Kathy printed out. And it is lovely. It is so fun. It's an I split you choose game with only 18 cards. And it's very, very clever. So Elizabeth, if you happen to listen to our podcast, first off, big fan, love you. Secondly, please make more games because you're the best. (laughs) (laughs) And the last Spiel Award is the Kinderspiel, which is the children's game. Those nominees are Fabulantica, Go Gecko Go, and Talder Wickinger. I believe they are all German and have not been published in the U.S. yet because I hadn't heard of any of them. But usually all of these are pretty solid children's games. And then when they do get published here, then... It, it'll be fun to play them. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the, the games that get nominated in this category specifically do often end up getting brought over to mm-hmm. the States eventually. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe we'll get to try those at some point. Yeah, I'll be excited to try them with my nephew. <laughs> so while the Spiel des Jahres awards are the most prestigious, there are other awards that are happening this summer as well. Um, we've got the Origins Awards coming up here actually really shortly. So if you're listening to this on the day it releases, it's uh, about a week away before Origins gets started and they'll be announcing the Origins Awards there. And they do their own awards and then they also do a thing for fan favorite awards. And when you are attending Origins, you get to vote in those fan favorite awards, which I think is kind of neat that they allow the attendees of the event to vote on things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's I haven't seen, I've seen a giant list of games but not like a narrowed down list. So it sounds like there's a lot of stuff that you can vote on in those fan favorites. Yeah. And there's a lot of different categories too. They separate out board games, card games, collectible games, and family games, and miniature games. Yeah. A lot of different things. So we'll maybe after they announce the Origins Awards, we'll come back and mention um, 
what we thought about the ones that got chosen, both for the regular Origins Awards and the Fan Favorite Awards. But you'll, uh, we'll mention some here in just a second that you'll, uh, that are also mentioned in the Origins Awards, and that is the Dice Tower Awards. Mm -hmm. So Ambie and I are part of the Dice Tower team. We do video content over on their YouTube channel, as most of you are probably already aware. And um, yeah, so the Dice Tower also nominates a lot of different things. <laughs> yes, lots of awards. But I guess the most prestigious of the Dice Tower Awards is Game of the Year. And we, they, we don't go small when we nominate games for this category. We're kind of like the, Academy, the modern Academy Awards. We nominate a whole bunch of things for that. <laughs> yeah. And all of the people that are involved in the Dice Tower Network get to contribute to both the nominations and then the eventual winners. Um, and there are a lot of people that vote in these. So that's, yeah. it's pretty neat because it's a wide variety of people. So for Game of the Year, I'll list off a few and I'll let Ambie list a few. Games that are nominated for the Dice Tower Award for Game of the Year this year include Root, Teotihuacan, Chronicles of Crime, Underwater Cities, Brass Birmingham, Western Legends, Architects of the West Kingdom, Rising Sun, Everdell, and The Mind. That is a lot of games. Yep. And I would say, let's see, between the two of us, okay, I've played Root, Chronicles Ooh. of Crime, Ooh. Architects of the West Kingdom, and The Mind. So I've played okay. four of the, are there 10 total? Yeah, I've oh, played four of the game. ten. I think I've played Root, Teotihuacan. Uh, I played Chronicles of Crime like a demo version before it was published. Um, <laughs> I played Underwater Cities, Brass, Birmingham, although that was just a partial play. Uh, and I've played The Mind. Okay. What was that, six? Yeah. Although some of them are just partial plays or demos. So. <laughs> I think you would like Architects of the West Kingdom. You like worker placement games, so I feel yeah. like that's one that you would enjoy quite a bit. Yeah, someone brought it to one of our game days, and then we ended up not playing it. So I almost played it once. Um, it was funny <laughs> because uh, my husband came over to my friend's house with me for International Tabletop Day, mm -hmm. and he and I had played it on the Dice Tower Cruise, and he really liked it. Mm -hmm. So I asked my friend to bring it to Tabletop Day so we could play it together. And then I was playing Order of the Gilded Compass with some people, and he got it out and played it with other people and not me. And I was like, <laughs> dang it, I wanted to play it. Wow. And I, I could have played it later, but we were busy with other stuff, and I was like, darn it. So I haven't gotten to play it again yet, but I'm very much wanting to. <laughs> So of the ones that we've played, obviously, you know, I can't vote for Western Legends because I've never played it. I don't mm -hmm. have a frame of reference. But of the four that I have played, I honestly, Root has gotten a lot of hype as well, but it is really, yeah. really good and it is really solid. I would think I my, my choice would be maybe between Root and Architects. Although Chronicles of Crime is awesome as well. So that one's hard <laughs> to not say in that breath. <laughs> well, um, if you listen to the Blitzies, you kind of know that I said the mind. <laughs> so <laughs> I would probably vote for that. But I don't think it's going to win. <laughs> it's it's weird how these games tend to go through the hype machine and they're like, everybody's buzzing about it. And then everybody's mad that everybody's buzzing about it. And then pe people like me are mad about the people who are mad about the buzz. <laughs> and like, it just keeps churning through the hype machine. I mean, okay, so the, my biggest problem I'll just get on my soapbox for a second, <laughs> is that with all of these awards, they, a lot of them have a category for party games, and the yeah. mind keeps getting nominated I, I don't as think a party it should game. be. <laughs> it is so not weird. a party game. <laughs> like, 
Can you can play any board game at a party theoretically? That does not make it a party game. Yeah, I guess we played eighteen max at a party once. So like, best party max, game. Party game. Yeah, no. Uh, I like the mind a lot. I enjoy playing it quite a bit. It is not a party game. Now, as far as game of the year, though, that I I would not necessarily be mad at. <laughs> For this week's etymology segment, we're going to look at the origins of the word prestigious. The English adjective prestigious, meaning practicing illusion or magic, or deceptive, originated in the 1540s and came from the Latin word prestigious, which meant full of tricks. That word can be traced back to another Latin word, prestigi, which meant juggler's tricks. Digging a little further back, we find the word prestringer, which meant to blind, blindfold or dazzle. The word prestigious obviously hasn't always been considered to be a good thing as you heard from some of those definitions. The word was considered to be derogatory in nature until the 19th century. The definition having dazzling influence is thought to have first been used in the early 20th century. So next time you're considering your vote for some prestigious awards, think back on what prestigious used to mean and maybe vote for the one that you don't like instead. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you're attending Origins Game Fair this month, make sure to stop by the Gray Fox Games booth, number 907, to try out a demo of Run, Fight, or Die Reloaded. Gray Fox Games. Quality games cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzketeers directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, I want to be the very best that no one ever was. Bye, everyone. Bye! Recently, I got a couple of review copies of games. Uh, I got two copies. Er, <laughs> okay. Two, two games. Okay. Yeah, so one that was recently just announced is the Spiel de Jar. <sighs> Spiel de Jar? How do you say it? You Yares. Know? Yares? Okay. Yeah, J's are Spiel... Y's in German. Spiel de Spiel de... Spiel des Jahres, I think. Spiel des Jahres. Spiel des Jahres. Okay. Okay. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox. <laughs> oh no. I almost said a bad word. <laughs> I stopped myself. Alliteration, alliteration, alliteration. I'm flicking a water bottle. <laughs> it's alliteration time, everyone. A few episodes ago, way back in episode 78, we asked you to retheme a game about being silent for a sparkly person who buys things. What game was that, Ambi? That was Shiny Shopper Shh. <laughs> the game that we can never say without spelling it. <laughs> yeah. And all right, so this week we are asking you to retheme a pastoral tile laying game for cautious and methodical people who work with wood. The answer will be three words that all start with the same letter. 
Good luck, everyone.